Hello, welcome back to Father Time. My name's Scott King, here with Chase Green and Matt McBrayer. Hey. hey, guys. This is a podcast by fathers for fathers, and the goal is to help each of you and each of us to be the spiritual leaders that our homes need. This season's theme is where are all the godly men, specifically where are those faithful fathers and faithful husbands who step up to the task and lead their homes. Short and sweet, where are the real heroes? Matt, how strong is the inclination of children to need heroes? Man, I I, I think that um, society has shown this to be very prevalent uh, in the fact that the most popular movies over the last, what, 20 years have been superhero movies, you know, of some kind, you know, you've got all these superhero movies out there. Um, but aside from that, you know, uh, especially young boys, they, they want to be a hero. And so they look up to heroes, uh, they make their own heroes, um, uh, people, uh, and, you know, you can talk about the, um, wisdom here and all of this, but, um, you think about the fact that there are, um, kids putting up posters in the rooms of, of things that, um, you know, am I the only one here? No, you're here. Oh, it is. I can, I can only see me. I'm so sorry. I that's, like, uh, that's the production quality of what we're using, the software. Oh, Keep going. I'm sorry. All right. But anyway, going going in back into this, I'll just start over here. But um, yeah, kids, man, they, they want to see uh, these movies where they've got these you know superheroes. They want to be heroes. You know, they want people to follow. And uh, so, yeah. Um, you know, this is a big, big, strong inclination of children to just want someone to look up to. Now, Chase, let's look at this from another perspective. What about dads? How strong is a dad's inclination to want to be a hero? Guys, uh, for me, I would say uh, just extremely strong. Um, you know, in many ways, it keeps me going. Um I, I have this strong desire to provide for my family and to be somebody that they want to uh, respect. And, you know, I want to not only provide for them, but I want to teach them and I want to have fun with them, uh, you know, kind of picking them up when they fall down. All these different things are extremely important to me uh, as a father. And I think that that God placed that within us. You know, I live uh for these children and my wife. That's that's kind of the way that that I look at life now and don't always uh, get that perfectly, certainly fail in that from time to time. I think that selfishness uh, can creep in in all of our lives sometimes. But uh, I've been teaching First Thessalonians in Wednesday night Bible class recently, and I'd like to go through some of that uh, as part of this particular question. And First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 I want to go to verses 7 through 12 real quick. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through uh, 12. It says, uh, but we were gentle among you. And this is talking about uh, Paul and the others who were preaching with him, how they conducted themselves to the Thessalonians. It says, but we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, 
For laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We see both parental uh, natures there, both you know a mother caring for and nursing her child, and then also a father uh, caring for uh, and exhorting, comforting, and charging his family in that particular section of the scripture. And I think that God has definitely placed it within us as men to want to take charge uh, in the proper way of our families. And so I have a very strong desire to do that. That uh, that particular passage uh, preached a sermon from it. The, the sermon my wife has hated the most that I ever preached just because of the title was A Mama Like Paul. Uh, but looking at how Paul describes himself as cherishing like a mother here. Uh, yeah. And uh, it's uh, still still one of the ones that I laugh about the most because it drives her nuts. But uh, well, no, great point there. Jesus talked about how he was like a um, a hen, you know, shielding the chick. So the the a- analogy properly understood, you know, it works. So it works. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can remember being a child, uh, and my dad is only about an inch taller than I am, which is to say he's short too. Uh, but I can remember being a child, uh, looking at him, thinking that he was able to reach up and grab power lines that were 25 feet up in the air just because he seemed larger than life. Um, and I've always wanted that to be the, uh, the way my children viewed me, no matter how short I was, uh, was to have a, a, a certain admiration for dad. Um, and, that being a goal, it's absolutely the fact that we we want that if we want to be a hero, let's be a hero in terms of godly uh, characteristics, in terms of God's word and God's will. And that brings us to where we are today. We're, we're looking at godly men from Faith's Hall of Fame, particularly Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, over the course of the season, we're going to look at Faith's heroes, some of which are specifically named in Hebrews 11 and some of which are Reference without being mentioned by name. Some of these men were fathers. Others were not really discussed as fathers in depth in Scripture, but all of them are heroes, and we can learn from all of them. And all of them received this designation. God is not ashamed to be called their God, Hebrews eleven sixteen. They They rose to the occasion. They stepped up to the plate because of their trust in God. And we're looking at examples from them that can help us do the same thing. Let's talk about a hero whose name is not given in Hebrews 11, but his life is mentioned. Hebrews 11.30 refers to, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. This is an event recorded in Joshua 6. It occurred while Joshua was leading Israel into the promised land. Scripture doesn't speak extensively about Joshua as a father, but what is said about him as a leader ought to be an inspiration to fathers today. For instance, Joshua 24, 31, the children of Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua. Chase, let's think about this verse for a moment. How does it reflect on Joshua's impact as a leader? Tremendously. Um, you know, you think about how, uh, what is a leader by definition? Somebody who the people follow. And under the leadership of Moses, of course, but then as uh, Moses passed away, Joshua took the reins, and under his leadership, the people served God, and under the leadership of those who were contemporaries, uh, helping lead along with 
Joshua, under their leadership as well, the people served God. But when Joshua and his contemporaries died, then by the time you come to the book of, uh, of Judges, another generation arises which knew not the Lord. And so there's an absolute tremendous impact, clearly, that uh, Joshua, when he rose to the occasion to lead God's people, it had a tremendous positive effect. So, Matt, let's talk about this for dads today. Can Joshua 2431 serve as a reasonable goal for a Christian dad? So, absolutely. Um, but I'm going to take it a step further. Not only is it a reasonable goal, but it should be your goal. Um, because, again, they served all the days of Joshua. And then his leadership ends and then uh, went on. It looks like maybe another generation passed him where this is going on that, you know, so that's what fathers should be looking for. Um, we want to be faithful. We want our wives to be faithful. We want our children to be faithful. We want our children's children to be faithful and on and on, you know, and if we do the right thing and we teach our kids to do the right thing and we teach our kids to lead their families, um, then man, you know, this is going to become, uh, more or less, uh, uh, a way of life here. Like this is how things go. You teach your children and then your children's children teach theirs, you know, and, and you're just moving on. And then your impact uh, has gone on for generations. All right. So let's think about some of the key qualities that helped Joshua have such an impact. We get started looking at his life and for a dad to lead like Joshua, there's going to require some courage, conviction and making choices. But when we get started with Joshua, he had big shoes to fill. It's already been mentioned that he leads after Moses' death. Joshua chapter 1 begins with a reference to the death of Moses, and then God telling Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses was God's chosen lawgiver, and here's Joshua to be leading in Moses' place. Now, Matt, was it even possible for Joshua to be the exact leader that Moses had been for the people? Um, I'm going to say right off the bat, no, no, he cannot be the exact same leader. Um, you know, that, that passage goes on to say, you know, in verse 10 there, uh, since then there has not arisen Israel prophet like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face and all the signs and wonders, which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt before Pharaoh, for all of his servants and all his land and by all the mighty power and all the great terror, which Moses performed inside of all Israel. Joshua doesn't have any of that. You know, he's not really going to have, um, he's going to have a fraction of that. He's going to be following God. He's going to be faithful and he's going to be, um, you know, following in some big, big shoes. Um, so, um, no, you can't, you can never be somebody else. Uh, you're going to have to do the best that you can. I think about this primarily a lot. And this is kind of like the preacher side coming out of me. Um, but man, you know, if I could choose, somebody to be, um, I might've chosen to be somebody different than who I am, uh, as far as being a preacher is concerned. Um, you know, I'm thinking about, um, in particular Garland Elkins and Robert Taylor Jr. In my mind, uh, they come to mind because man, you know, brother Elkins, uh, and brother Taylor, both, they could quote the scriptures just like no other. And, um, uh, and now I've, uh, had a head injury that kind of keeps me from doing that completely. And so I know that's probably not going to be what I ever do. Um, but here's the, here's the thing is I can't be Garland Elkins. I can't be Robert Taylor. Joshua can't be Moses, but we can be ourselves. 
and we can do the absolute best that we can do and find out what what it is that we succeed at and and do that to the best of our ability. Um, we all have different abilities. Uh, we all have um, uh, different experiences that um, guide us into those um, roles. And so, yeah, man, we're, he's not going to be, Joshua's not going to be Moses, um, but he he's Joshua. And he's got he's got some um, you know while he's got big shoes to fill, he he can do his thing, and and do well at what he does. Um, nor really should he follow Moses in all regards. I mean, Moses was not perfect; um, he had some flaws. Joshua would have to learn from those things and try to do better. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think someone might get into the idea of of um, of a comparison here of um, maybe better uh, or something like that, but no, it's just different. You know, it's just like, you know, following somebody in any, if you go to a new job and you're the new boss, um, you know, you can be just like the old boss and do things his way. You can do things your way. Um, and that may not, you know, uh, be a necessarily a bad thing depending on what it is, but listen, you got you're not going to be exactly the same. You're going to do things differently. I think the you know, parable of the talents plays into it too. You know, right. Some of us are, you know, the five talent, the two talent or the one talent, man, we need to use though, uh, whatever amount of talents we have, we need to use them for. Absolutely. For you know, you think about uh, Moses and Joshua were different men, but they were also leading at different times, different right. situations, different scenarios. And it is the case that a, a lot of times what makes a leader so great is his leadership skills and his approach is just the right approach for the right time. Uh, and that can really be seen with Moses, which Moses leadership approach was uh, really timeless. There's so much to learn from Moses in leadership. And the same can be said about Joshua. But at the same time, the distinctions between the two are are still significant. Now, Chase, we've talked about this in terms of leaders in general. Matt referenced some preachers whose steps he would love to follow and emulate. Let's think about this in terms of dads specifically. Could this idea of not having to be exactly like the one who's gone before, could this have any relevance to dads today who feel inadequate to fill their own father's shoes in teaching their families like dad had done? I think so. Um, you know, from my perspective, my my father is an elder uh, in the church back in Louisiana, and it can be intimidating to follow uh, in the shoes of of one's faithful father. And my dad taught us a lot that uh, was was really good and and what we needed. Uh, and you know, certainly he he wasn't perfect by any means, and and he made mistakes, but he always tried his best to put first things first. Uh, to to me and my children, uh, my siblings, and I really appreciate that. But you know, you think about generational faithfulness, and you know, let's say that a, a father does successfully raise uh, three or four children, or, or what have you, and they all become faithful children, uh, faithful Christians, rather. And then uh, let's say that uh, one of those four, uh, maybe the youngest or what have you, uh, he comes along and he starts having his own children, and maybe. Uh, his older siblings are, are rearing their children in the church and things are going well uh, on their behalf. And so here he is the youngest 
in this next generation and it's his time to have children. And wow, that's a lot of pressure. I've got so many family members that are doing such a great job and uh, I've got to try to keep my family faithful as well and and lead in that regard. But you know what? Pressure is not really a bad thing. You know, pressure uh, gives us the impetus, the it gives us the motivation to conform properly to to uh, what God would have us to do. And so I think, you know, peer pressure can be a, a very good uh, motivation. And, um, you know, this is a life or death situation spiritually. It's life or death uh, if our families are going to make it to heaven or not. And, you know, I think about generational faithfulness. I was studying through uh, some Old Testament with our kids recently. They had been going through this in their Bible classes. And so we were kind of reinforcing and going back through some of the kings in the Old Testament in uh, Judah's history. Of course, Israel, you know, after Solomon, Israel had very bad luck with their kings, right? Judah, on the other hand, they had some good kings. They had some bad kings. But if you go back and you read, I'm going to give some references. If you go back and you read after uh, wicked queen, Athaliah, remember her? Uh, if you go back and you read after her, uh, Jehoash comes along in 2 Kings eleven twenty one, and into 2 Kings chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And it talks about how he was a good king. And uh, some of these kings I'm going to mention, they weren't perfect. You know, it talks about how, well, they were good but they didn't take away the high places or, or what have you. Uh, but it still describes them overall as good. So you got Jehoash, and then after that, you've got Amaziah in Judah, 2 Kings 14, verses 1 through 3, and it describes him as good. And then Azariah, 2 Kings 15, verses 1 through 4, it describes as good. Uh, Jotham, 2 Kings 15, 32 through 35, it describes as a good king. You've got all these good kings in a row. That's generational faithfulness. Then you do have a wicked king that arises, Ahaz. But then uh, after that, Hezekiah comes along and he was a good king. And that's a second Kings chapter 18 verses one and following. So the point being, hey, generational faithfulness is possible. Even when you're looking at these kings in Judah, generational faithfulness is possible. So I, I told Andrew, uh, our son, I said, look, do you want to have generations of faithfulness in our family? You know, it's going to be up to you one day to rear your children in the Lord so that we can see successful generations of faithfulness uh, to the Lord uh, for for our family. All right. Now, we talk about Joshua and the leadership impact that he had and generational faithfulness. And we've mentioned that it's going to take at least three things. Let's focus first on the idea of courage. Being a godly leader requires it. And as Joshua gets started with his term of leadership, if you will, God is going to give him four reasons to be strong and to have good courage. We say God is going to give him four reasons. It's actually a total of four reasons. God says it three times, and then one is going to be said by the people that Joshua leads. But Joshua 1.6, God tells Joshua, be strong and of good courage, for unto this people thou shalt divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. In other words, Joshua, you be strong and good courage because God's promise is before you. It's right there in front of you. Now, Chase, let's springboard from this. God used the promised land as an incentive for Joshua to take courage. What incentive has God given to help fathers take courage and lead today? So incentive, uh, motivation, again, you know, the pressure that we're talking about, talking about, <clears throat> um, 
In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Heaven. I mean, if that's not in incentive, then I don't know what is. I want to go to heaven. I want to be there. And and I want my family to be there as well. You know, and I definitely don't want the other option uh, for myself or my family. So that is that is the ultimate incentive to be with God in heaven one day. And um, obviously, there is an anti-type. There's a type anti-type relationship when we're talking about Joshua conquering Canaan. What is our Canaan? It's heaven. And so we want to command our households, as we've been talking about this season. Uh, we want to be strong and of good courage. We want to have the mindset of, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what we have to have so that we can hopefully lead our families uh, because the incentive ultimately is, hey, we want to be there one day. We want to be with God in heaven. Matt, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, no, I think the <clears throat> the importance of that is um, what we need to just grasp a little bit. I think about this with um, my kids a lot because uh, in particular, I know we've mentioned this on the show last season, but um, uh, I've got a, a wide uh, range of uh, ages here and um, I've got five kids going from 14 down to six with one on the way now. And so uh, soon to be six kids. And I started actually doing math with that one uh, going, oh man, you know, so um, you know, whenever I, uh, uh, this child is 11, um, well, I'm going to be 50. And so I'm thinking about stuff like that. And then, you know, my kids are all laughing like, ah, that's so funny. You know, you're going to be 50. You're going to be old when this kid's 11. And that, the, in particular, my oldest who will be 15, whenever, um, uh, this child is born, I was like, Oh, you think that's funny? Well, when he's 15, you'll be 30, right? You know, and so I'm just doing math for everybody here. And, um, but at the same time, I'm thinking about going, oh man, she'll be 30 and she'll be out of my house. And this child will be 11 and I'll be trying to help this child. And at the same time, I've got all these other kids here and I'm trying to get them to heaven and um, I've got to do what I can right now. I've got to do everything I can in the moment uh, because I want my family to go to heaven. But um, I think that really we need to kind of um, kind of like a quarterback. They always tell quarterbacks you need to have a, uh, a, a timer in your head, you know, because you got to throw that ball. You know, you got to get rid of the ball at some point in time. And, you know, we've got to have that. Uh, clock ticking in our head and going, I've only got so much time and use that for motivation uh, to, uh, to say, look, I've, I've got to do what I can right now. You know, one of the things about uh, the fact that God tells Joshua, it's right here in front of you. Here's the land that I promised and you're going to divide it. It's attainable. It, it's not something that's beyond the realm of possibility. Does he need God's help? Absolutely. Don't we all, but it's attainable. God had said through Moses that his word was is not in heaven where they couldn't reach it. It wasn't in the depths of the earth where they had to descend to it. It was right there in their hearts and their mouths back in Deuteronomy 30. Paul would actually use that same idea in Romans 10 when he emphasized the, the simplicity and the attainability of what it means to be a Christian and understand God's word. Uh, it's attainable. 
when God tells Joshua, it's right there in front of you, it's attainable. And for us to be able to have that generational faithfulness, for us to be able to teach our children, it's not something beyond the realm of imagination or possibility. It is attainable. Will each family do it as well as another? Well, that comparative aspect might be dangerous because it's not a matter of as well as another. Are we doing it as well as we can? Are, are we teaching our children? Are we being the leaders for the situation where we are and the time when we are? Much like Joshua and Moses, as we mentioned earlier. So Joshua is told to take courage because God's promise is right in front of him. Joshua 1, verses 7 and 8. God tells Joshua to take courage again, but this time there's a different reason given. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper wherever thou goest. And this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Joshua, you're going to meditate on it day and night. You're going to observe it, to do it, all that's written in it. Because when you do this, then you'll make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. Success is attainable. And here's the guidebook. Here are the instructions, Joshua. So take courage, not only because God's promise is before you, but because God's precepts are with you. Matt, let's let's turn to you on this one. Joshua could take courage in having God's instructions for how to serve him. How does that apply to dads today? Man, yeah, it, there's some really good application here, I think. Um, you know, the, here's the thing. You don't really have to guess anything. Um, uh, that's the, the, the same thing I know we all do as, as preachers is we're, you know, we're preaching. We don't have to make up stuff. I, I've always wondered how the denominational people that come and give their witness or whatever it is, they just, here's what God has laid on my heart kind of a thing. I'm not really telling you what God has laid on their heart. They're just telling you stuff that they're thinking off the top of their head. Um, I've wondered how they do that because that's just, man, that's not, that's not going to be any depth at all. Um, but, you know, here we have the word of God and we don't have to really guess here. Second uh, Peter one, three, we've been given everything that pertains unto life and godliness. And so I think about this a lot. There is a lot of pressure, you know, on us as fathers uh, to be wise. But you know what? There's a lot less pressure on us to be wise if we lean on God's wisdom. And that really comes when we are studying the word of God. Uh, and so we're just portraying uh, what what the Bible says. You know, that's all we're having to do. We're leaning upon the word, not leaning upon our knowledge, our wisdom, our understanding of just life in general. We're leaning on God's and that's that's where the importance lies anyway. Chase, anything you'd add to that? Well, I, I just appreciate, you know, the verse points out meditating on the law of the Lord. And, you know, we need to constantly have God's God's thoughts, uh, God's word in our hearts. And uh, we need to hide it in our heart that we might not sin against God. Psalm 119, verse 11. And uh, we need to be able to proclaim the word of God. And I, I'm reminded of, you know, when temptation comes a calling, well, we have an example from our Lord Jesus himself, Matthew chapter 4 and uh, Luke chapter 4. And what did Jesus do when the tempter came? He knew the word and he proclaimed it to the devil himself. And uh, he quoted three times from the book of Deuteronomy. And so when temptation comes calling and, uh, you know, when 
when times are, are tough, we need to be able to go to the Word of God, and we need to be familiar enough with it so we can know, hey, I need to go here. I need to read up on this, or I need to go, you know, I, what is that verse? I know these words from that verse, and I can find it, and I can um, proclaim it. I can talk to my family about it so that we can get through this particular uh, difficult situation. Yeah, and you mentioned the idea of being familiar enough with it to use it. The more familiar with it we become, the more it changes who we are. And the more God's instructions and God's approach becomes ours. Thus, the better equipped we are not only to handle temptation, but to uh, assume roles such as leadership and parenting. Uh, when we've truly committed ourselves to what the Bible has to say about parenting, we're going to be far better equipped. And yes, he's uh, the manufacturer has given us the instruction book, not only for our own lives, but for every responsibility we have. So, Joshua, you take courage. You've got God's promise right before you. You've got God's precepts with you. Let's move to Joshua 1.9, because here's another promise God makes. He says, have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Back up in verse 5, God had said, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Joshua, I'm with you. Now, Chase, God promised his involvement would be there. And again, he's instilling Joshua with courage as he says this. Is there any sense in which God's presence and God's providence can give uh, dads reason for courage today? Definitely. Um, you know, you think about from Joshua's standpoint, you think about having to go take Jericho. And, uh, you know, the situation with Achan that he had to deal with and all these different situations that come up in the book of Joshua, absolutely God promising that he would be with him had to have been a tremendous comfort to him. And just uh, in my life, I think about various times in my, my life when things have come up that have been very stressful, very difficult. Um, you know, I've I've had uh, unexpected moves needing to to move to a different state when when I wasn't really planning on it at a particular time. I've had career changes and things that have been pretty stressful uh, because uh, I had totally changed the direction that I thought my life was going. And, and now um, in preaching, I'm so glad that things worked out the way they did. Uh, I wouldn't want to be doing anything uh, different than what I'm doing currently. But, uh, you know, before this took place, when when I, I thought my life was going a different direction, it certainly was uh, was difficult when I realized, you know what, that's not going to work. But, you know, I think about a, a recent scenario in my own personal life, and uh, Matt mentioned he's got another one on the way. Uh, we had our fourth child recently at the recording of this. Uh, Olivia was born. Uh, she's a couple months old now, but we had some difficulties uh, with her birth and she ended up in the NICU for a couple nights. And when you see a little baby hooked up to all those little tubes and things, when it's your baby, especially that's pretty difficult. But that Sunday after we got out, I preached a sermon and I talked about the God of all comfort. And I talked about the peace that passes understanding. And I'm telling you from my own personal experience, it's a real thing. And just knowing that, that we are the children of God in those kind of tough moments that hit all of us in our lives and whatever they may be, it makes all the difference in the world. I'll tell you that. Matt, anything you'd add regarding God's presence and providence for dads? 
Yeah. Um, so I'll do this by way of a, uh, a story here, but, um, uh, when I was in kindergarten, I had a best friend. His name was Chad Payne. He's now a member of the church, which is awesome. Um, given this story, but, um, uh, I was the smallest child in kindergarten. Um, and then he was the biggest child in kindergarten. Um, you know, and the, so, um, the kids would pick on me quite a bit and, um, Chad soon became my friend and he would protect me from, from that. And, uh, and so I knew that as long as I had Chad with me, that I was safe. Um, he literally just kept me safe every time. Um, there were times where Chad was sick and it was fair game for everybody else. And, um, those days, were miserable. Now, uh, I'm not making a direct relationship here, but let me say this, that, you know, when you have God on your side, God being powerful, God being almighty here, um, you can take comfort in that. But if you don't have God, it's miserable. It is miserable. If you don't have God, life is, is awful. And so, um, need to be on the right side with God and, and just um, realize that as long as God's on your side, everything's going to be taken care of. You know, we think about God's presence and his providence. Joshua didn't know every step they were going to be taking. Now, Joshua had scouted out the land 38 years earlier, and he had sent a couple of spies into the land already, uh, or would send a couple of spies into the land, Joshua chapter two. But all those things being said, Joshua didn't have every answer to every question to lay ahead. What he did have was a trust in the God that was giving him the instructions. Now we think about that for dads today who are looking at setting out on leading their children into a Bible study, leading their children in family Bible time, leading their children toward God. No, we, we don't always know every step of the way. Matter of fact, there may be times we make mistakes. There were times when it looks like Joshua could have been more inclined to ask for God's counsel, particularly the situation with uh, AI. But even with that being said, Joshua learned from his mistakes. God was right there with him, even when Joshua seems to have stumbled and picked him up and moved him forward. When we're trying to teach our families, there are going to be times we may say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, think the wrong thing. When we're in tune enough to pay attention to God's word, to recognize that what his word is saying is not what I was just doing, then we can learn. We can grow. And when our families see us learning and growing because we're trying to hold God's hand all along the way, that leaves an impact on them. The, the family that has a dad that seems like he does everything perfect, that, that can actually be intimidating. But the one who sees dad growing, facing his imperfections and changing, that can be inspiring. So we talk about God's presence and providence being with us. There are times when through God's providence, we get to learn from our mistakes. So, yeah, uh, much of what's being said to Joshua, be strong and of good courage. We don't have to know everything, but we just need to be willing to learn as we move forward. So looking at Joshua, God tells him to be strong and of good courage. You've got God's promise right before you. You've got God's precepts with you. God's presence is with you. We get to the end of Joshua, Joshua chapter one, and Joshua goes to uh, Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh. These are the two and a half tribes that have already received their land, but they promised to be the ones that would go over armed before the rest of the army. They are the, the tip of the spear, so to speak. 
And when Joshua goes and reminds them of their promise, they promise Joshua they're going to keep their word to go over before their brethren and fight. But what they say to Joshua, Joshua 1, 18, whoever it is that rebels against your commandment and will not hearken to your words, Joshua, and all that you command him to do, he shall be put to death. And then they look at their leader. They look at Joshua and say, only be thou strong and of a good courage. Now, let's hand this one to Matt. Not only did God encourage Joshua, but God's people told Joshua to be strong and of good courage. How can God's people, the church, support dads and give them courage in leading their families? I think this comes in a in a few different you know avenues here. I think um, the very first thing though is this: uh, I think we need to be more encouraging uh, to uh, each other as fathers. More, um, we're all in different circumstances, doing different things throughout the week. Uh, we can't all do. Bible time the same exact way. Uh, so encourage brethren uh, where they are. Maybe, you know, maybe they might need to do more. I don't know. So, you know, but be thankful that they are getting started and they're doing something um, and uh, letting them grow that way. Another thing, though, too, is having um, some resources available, in which we do have resources available uh, to help dads. Um, I think of uh, things like, uh, you know, just having some activities uh, where, you know, we uh, support uh, men. A matter of fact, here at the congregation where I preach in uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, we have a uh, men's class once a month on a Saturday morning. And so we have uh, a few guys that get together and we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, some things, be very encouraging in that way. Uh, and then also. Uh, I think other things like um, uh, like a polishing the pulpit or, you know, the Memphis School of Preaching Lectures, Branson Lectures, you know, things that um, you can go to a lectureship. There's several others. I've just named a few here. There are several other lectureships that uh, you could take part in um, and take your families to those. Uh, and uh, and just know that there are other people out there like you doing the same things and trying to uh, guide their families to heaven and just you know do that knowing that there's other people spiritually minded in the same boat that you're in. I think right. I think Matt hit the nail on the head when he talked about resources. We definitely need to give fathers resources that they need to be successful. You know, the military. Um, just thinking about it in that kind of terms, if they. Uh, have the right people, but they don't give them the resources they need, they're not going to be successful. And I think we need to give resources to fathers uh, to be able to use to be successful in their families. We need to provide mentorship as well. And uh, to that note, something I sent to you guys in the group group chat or the group text the other day, and I don't know where this came from. I'm not sure who even uh, wrote this, but I thought the quote was good. It said, too many churches are overly emphasizing a healthy youth children's ministry as a way to combat the culture. What our churches need is a healthy men's ministry uh, where men are taught how to shepherd and disciple their wives and children. I think, yeah. uh, you know, obviously we need good youth ministries as well, but but we also need to focus on our men and, and build them up so that they will build their families up as the leaders that they need to be. And if I could jump back in here too. Um, you know, exactly what we're doing is a resource for people 
you know, and so uh, sharing this podcast with uh, other dads uh, is a is a good way to help and and to encourage because that's what this whole thing is about. You know, Jesus said, "All things you would men do unto you, do you even so unto them." This is the law and the prophets, Matthew seven twelve. We often summarize that as "do unto others as you would have them do unto you." Any parent knows that receiving commendation from other parents is uplifting and encouraging. Well, are we doing that for others? Do we have our eyes open looking for those dads that they really are trying? They're giving it a shot. They're they're trying to bring their children to worship. They're trying to teach them. Uh, How often do we tell dads, hey, listen, here's what your son did. Here's what your daughter did on a positive note. Uh, you know, you guys are doing a really good job at home. Your, your children are great folks because that's hugely encouraging. A lot of times we can make the mistake of only reporting children's behavior to the parents when the children are misbehaving. That's hugely discouraging. Do mom and dad need to know it? Absolutely. But they also need to know when, hey, their children are behaving properly because then they can give their children positive reinforcement also. And the entire situation is bettered. So we think about taking courage because God's people are behind you. We, as the Lord's church, can indeed encourage fathers, those who are just getting started, those who've been doing it for a while. Uh, We can encourage them with resources. We can encourage them with commendation. uh, And we can encourage them with examples. But those things being said, let's take this idea of God's people encouraging and supporting the leader. And let's hone it down to the home itself. Chase, Joshua was encouraged by the people he was going to be leading. How might wives and children help their husbands and fathers to have the courage to lead? Yeah, I think this is, uh, this is crucial. And I think, uh, you know, build us up, uh, gentle reminders that we need from time to time, not nagging, uh, but maybe a gentle reminder and then uh, just uh, be a motivator for us and tell us, hey, we can do this, you know, and I appreciate you so much for putting in these efforts. They're going to be well worth it. And uh, not to borrow too heavily from book of numbers uh, when uh, Joshua and Caleb back into came back uh, after the spies went and reported on the land. But they said uh, we are well able, able to overcome it. We need to have that same mindset when it comes to this. We're well able to you know, accomplish it, to do it. And so encourage us in that regard, as far as the kids are concerned. Uh, Dad, I'd like to study this. You know, show interest and uh, show that you're paying attention. Uh, answer questions when they're asked. Uh, obviously, uh, don't be acting up and, you know, chit-chatting when we're supposed to be discussing God's word and what have you. Uh, be respectful during prayer and things like that. Uh, and say thank you. You know, uh, a good I appreciate you goes a long way as well. Amen to that. Matt, what would you add? Yeah, I think uh, that's that's the main point is having having the support there of the wife and kids. And um, of course, you know, children are probably going to have to be led in this by by their mom um, because they're probably not going to know to do this right off the bat. So um, but yeah, the encouragement uh, when you're doing something right, um, the uh, reminders, you know, uh, for instance, if um, uh, you've been real busy and um, you are like Bible time is, um, you know, not at the forefront of your mind for a reason. Let's just say you're super stressed out about something going on at work. Bible time's not at the forefront of your mind. 
day is coming to a close, things are winding down. Um, mom could be there to say, Hey, um, we should still have Bible time, you know, and, and help out there and give a little bit of encouragement. And so, um, you know, cause you know, dad, dad might not be in, in the greatest frame of mind at a, at a certain point, but if mom can be there to say, Hey, let's, uh, let's go, let's go to God, you know, and, and help remember, re- remind him, uh, of these things. I think that's also encouraging. One, one yeah. thing that my wife does, if I, real quick, uh, one thing that my wife does that I really appreciate is, you know, I'm kind of in charge of, of, uh, before bedtime routine and, uh, in the mornings after they've had their breakfast and everything, she has a Bible basket. And a lot of times she will go through some material with them. Um, a lot of times when I'm actually already, uh, gone to work, but she'll go through some things with them in the morning. So they're getting it in the morning and in the evening, uh, from both of us. And I think that's really helpful uh, as well. That reinforcement is terrific. You know, one of the things that's also going to be helpful is sometimes dad ha- dads have to overcome themselves. They're trying to teach what's right. They're trying to go through the Bible with their children and teach. And every now and then the dad says or does something wrong. And depending on how, uh, especially the wife reacts, if every little mistake of his, she turns, she tries to turn it into you're just this hypocrite instead of, hey, you're growing too. Hey, you you realize what was wrong with this situation and, and you're advancing. Depending on her reaction to his stumbles, that can be a make it or break it situation as far as his courage and confidence in trying to teach his children. Um, because he's not always going to do everything just right. There are going to be times that he might actually get more frustrated than he wants to get even during Bible time. Or there might be times that he says the wrong thing or overreacts to something outside of Bible time, but it hits on something that he just taught. And here he is uh, looking as bad as he can look. Well, is she going to amplify the situation or is she going to say, hey, I know you can be better. And I know you realize what shouldn't have happened there. Yeah, there are those dads that are absolute hypocrites. But we're not talking about those losers. We're talking about real dads that are really trying. And when when they've stumbled, they need the encouragement from their wives and from their children that says, hey, dad, we're behind you. So four times Joshua is charged to take courage. Why? Because he needed it. Just like us, Joshua needed told, you can do this. You've got this. Be strong and of good courage. So we've talked about the idea of courage, and let's face it, dads need it. Anyone that's going to lead has to have a certain confidence and courage. Let's talk about the idea of conviction. Joshua's leadership hinged on his trust in God. He had the conviction to follow God's plans, even when it seemed counterintuitive to the situation. For instance, the 10 spies said, those people are too big for us. We're grasshoppers in their sight. Joshua said, you know, if the Lord delights in us, he'll give us victory. Don't be afraid of them. God's with us. Numbers 14. Joshua chapters three and four, the people can be asking, how are we going to cross Jordan at flood time? But Joshua just says, God's told us what to do. Follow his instructions. He'll stop the river. How are we going to conquer Jericho? That can be the question, Joshua 6. God told us what to do. We're going to march around this city once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day. Then we're going to shout, God will topple the walls. Counterintuitive, maybe, but Joshua followed God's instructions. God did what he promised to do. Now, let's open this up to 
whoever wants to answer it. Instead of trusting in himself to devise the solutions, God trusted uh, Joshua rather trusted God's plan. What can a dad today learn from this when it comes to facing the giants or maybe those Jordans or those fortresses of Jericho that so often threaten to derail dad's efforts to to lead a family closer to God? Yeah, I think that the uh, answer that we already gave uh, as far as and you go back to the word of God, I think that's um, that's really it uh, for me. You know, if I'm going through something, then I've, I've got to lean on the word. And so uh, when I'm going through something, I, I I go and I go to the word of God. But, you know, that also might mean that I find myself a mentor that can help me out and guide me in the word of God. That's already been there. And and so, um, you know, that that might be helpful at a time. Uh, but the the whole thing is that you just put your faith in God and you're not really worrying about anything else because you know that God's going to take care of you. I think a lot of people just don't even really put their faith in God. Uh, they say they do. And then they're just like, well, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, um, I know that, um, you know, here it is. I've I've got this job, and this job's going to keep me away from worship. And and if I don't do this, and I'm going to get fired. And well, you know what? Just put your faith in God. You know, for crying out loud, uh, put your faith in God and not worry about it. And um, and then just see what happens. You know, let God bless you because you could, yeah, you could fight this. Let's say you've got a great job, and and you're afraid to get fired because you know. Let's say that you know th- there's a there's a, a golf thing every Sunday that they do. And if you're not there, then you're not going to be a part of the, the in crowd. And eventually you're going to get fired. That's kind of the thought process. I'm just making something up here. But, you know, you know you've got to do this every Sunday. Well, that's during worship. Well, you know, you could say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do that. Uh, or maybe you've been doing that. And you go, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to put God first. Well, you know what? Uh, I have found that God usually blesses me with something way better than what I had before. And um, I don't have any sort of statistic here on this or anything, but I just know that if you put God first, everything falls into place. Yeah. You know, uh, you mentioned going back to the word of God. That's I had on mine. uh, Go straight to the source, right? Go straight back to the word of God. Uh, Don't deviate from his plan. You know, we have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Second Peter one, three, and uh, everything that we need as fathers and, and our, our wives need as mothers is found in God's word. You know, you talk about topics like discipline, discipline for our children. You talk about uh, planning out our lives, conflict resolution, guidelines for relationships, uh, giving our children a work ethic. All these different things and more are contained within the pages of Scripture. And so just go back to the source and uh, everything that we need is there. All right. So, guys, we've talked about the courage that's needed and how God gives every incentive for courage. We've talked about the conviction that's needed, and God gives all the instruction that ought to give us all the reason in the world for conviction. It's attainable. We we can do this. Let's talk about the idea of choice. Dads need courage. They need conviction. But perhaps Joshua's most recognizable statement emphasizes the need to make a choice, and he speaks it from the perspective of the leader of a home. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua twenty four fifteen. Joshua chose to serve the Lord. He made the choice first for himself. Then he 
chose to lead his family in God's service. Matt, let's apply this to fathers today and their responsibilities to their families. If every person has free will, and that includes their children, they have to make choices for themselves. How can a dad decide that his house will serve the Lord? Well, uh, this is going to be done primarily by example. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that this becomes a little bit more tricky when it comes to the wife as she is an adult and she is not as um, uh, malleable, if you will. Um, the kids are a whole lot easier um, because you can just say, hey, this is how it's going to be. And um, you can just, you know, without being like laying down the hammer necessarily, but, um, you know, listen, you are in charge of your home. Uh, so yeah, there's no question where we're going to be. We're going to be at worship. Um, and if that's really set from a young age, nobody's going to question it for one. Um, but, um, you know, I, I know that this was, you know, a, a subject that happened in the home I grew up in primarily because I asked the question and I was like, Hey, you know, listen, I don't, I don't like this thing. Um, uh, I was, uh, uh, to be honest, I was kind of a closet agnostic. And so I, uh, I was just like, um, yeah, I don't really want to go to, you know, Bible class anymore as a Wednesday night. I don't want to go to Bible class. And, uh, they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I think I'd like to stay here and, uh, you know, just hang out and do whatever I want. And, um, my dad said, well, you're, you're, under my roof, you know, you're going to do what I say here and and you're going to come with us. And I said, well, maybe it's about time I wasn't under your roof, you know? And, and, um, my dad said, um, well, okay, well, all right. You know, uh, you got a job, right? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, you know how much it is for, for rent? And I was like, oh man, yeah, I guess it's about, you know, at the time, like 500 bucks, you know, for a little apartment. And he's like, oh, how much do you make? And I was like, well, I make like $700 a a month, you know, and so I'm thinking, I got this, you know, and my dad's like, does it pay for water and electricity? And I'm like, I don't know about that. And then that's like, how about that car? You know, I pay the insurance on that car. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I guess I'll have to take that too. And he's like, and then also, you know, you'll, you'll have uh, the food that you have to, you know, I was like, okay, I'm, I'll go get my Bible, dad. All right. <laughs> so <laughs> that reminds he, me of, uh, that reminds me of the old Bill Cosby, and I know he's got his issues, but the old Bill Cosby show, he's like, you still got to eat. <laughs> yeah. He goes through all the list of the uh, oh, man. expenses, like, what you got to eat, son? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. Maybe that's my dad. That's where my dad got it from. I don't know. We watched Cosby show. Yeah. Maybe that's what he got it from. I don't know. But yeah, okay. I, I remember that happening. But, you know, that's that's kind of an easy thing with the kids. Like, listen, hey. Now, now also, there needs to be some guidance here and not a just a, hey, this is what you're doing because I'm the man around here and this is how we do things. You're going to listen to what I say. There needs to be some guidance and saying, Hey, you know, listen, I know right now that this is not, you know, what you're, you're wanting. Uh, I want this for you. God wants this for you. And, and then start talking about things that are necessary for like, Hey, you know, we, this is how, what you need to do to go to heaven. And, and talk about some of those important things. But uh, again, this is really more for those that are older. But if you um, have younger children, you're doing this from the start. This is really not going to be an issue. All right, Chase. We kind of hit on this already. 
But let's uh, let you add a few thoughts. What about dads who insist that they've decided to serve the Lord, but they just can't get their children to care? Well, we've kind of hit on this, but I think that uh, this is going to be particularly difficult for dads who arrive late to the game, so to speak. Uh, Maybe they're getting serious later in life and so that maybe they've got teenagers and they've squandered a lot of time and those teenagers just don't care. Let's let's be frank. And uh, that's unfortunate. That's very difficult. You know, I'm reminded of Proverbs 13, verse uh, 24 in the King James Version. It says that uh, a father who loves his son will chasten him betimes. What does that old old English word betimes mean? Basically, it's the idea of as early and as often as needed. So ideally, fathers need to get started early on all of this. But some do arrive late to the game, so to speak. So uh, do we just sit there and and uh, wallow in our bad choices and the consequences that we have because of that? Or, okay, well, better, Nathan, better uh, late than never. never. That's what we need to have the mindset of, better late than never. Uh, we got to get started. And, yes, we're, we're starting late, but we're going to commit to this. And as long as you're in our household, so to speak, you're going to commit to uh, – studying God's word and and trying to live out faithfully his principles. And so, uh, I mean, that's, that's really it. Um, if, uh, if someone is, is arriving late to the game, it's going to be probably more of a challenge, but you still got to step up to the plate. It's still always going to be easier to start today than it will be tomorrow. Right. Uh, never too early and hopefully not too late to to get started with this. And, you know, a couple of thoughts on the idea in terms of in leading them and dealing with the ones that don't care. There are times where they don't care about eating vegetables, but they do so because of the authority in the home. There are times they don't want to brush their teeth, but they do so because they there's discipline involved. And so what Matt had to say about exercising authority and teaching responsibility, it, it Yes, it all goes hand in hand. But for those parents that and we've heard it applied to to worship. Well, I I don't want to force my children to to go to worship. Otherwise, they'll hate it when they get older. Well, you make them eat even when they don't like the food or you have them brush their teeth, uh, even though they don't want to do that. Are you afraid they're not going to brush their teeth when they get older? There comes a point where the parent has to be a parent and assume leadership instead of always worrying about just trying to make sure the child is smiling, uh, the child needs to be growing. So we've talked about these details as it pertains to Joshua, the, the need for courage, the need for conviction, and making a choice. And when we make that choice, uh, we don't have to make it again over and over. Once we make the choice and stick to it, then we've decided where we're going to be. We've decided what we're going to be doing. Joshua twenty four thirty one is not guaranteed. The children of Israel served Joshua all the days of Joshua and the elders that overlived Joshua. It's not guaranteed because, yes, our children have to make a choice. But we have a whole lot better chance if we lead like Joshua. So this whole idea of be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, it can be said to every Christian dad today. Be strong. Be of good courage. Dad, you've got this. Joshua didn't have to be Moses. And we don't have to be Joshua. Just be you. The courageous, convicted you that's chosen to lead your family to God. Now, guys, we've talked about Joshua. Each episode this season, we're wanting to talk about some tough topics. Because when dads step up to the challenge of having courage, conviction, 
It's not always going to be easy. Let's think about some of those tough and sometimes scary questions that dads might face. For instance, a five-year-old comes to you and says, Daddy, what is sex? How do you approach that? Go ask your mom. Yeah. <laughs> As all these, go ask your mom. Yeah. Next. Oh, What's the next one? Um, yeah. I, so this is this is how I do things with questions like this. I first of all, when they're too young to know what in the world this is, I first say, well, could you repeat where you heard that? Or maybe it is like, tell me what the sentence is that you heard this in. Because, um, for instance, like this one, you know, we could be talking about gender. And then you're like, ooh, I missed a big, big conversation with a five-year-old real quick, you know. And uh, so, um, yeah, so I'd ask that and go, hey, what is, and then, and then if it's, you know, not, you know, if it's not the gender one, you know, you then you go, okay, well, you know what, listen, that is a topic of conversation for another day. Uh, we will come back to that. I also need to know uh, where you heard this, because that is going to be another topic of conversation that I'm going to have with somebody else. And, and um, if, if, yeah, if I may add to that real quick, shame on us if they heard it on the TV or something. And we're right. protecting and, and shielding their ears from those things. Right. Yeah. But we got to know, because I mean, like, and that we've done that with like bad attitudes, like somebody has a bad attitude and they'll say something and uh, we'll go, where did you hear that? And then we found out they saw it on a little kid's cartoon and we're like, okay, no more kid's cartoon. That's enough. Um, so, yeah, even little stuff like that. But yeah, that's where I would go with that. There's a story, uh, Cora Ten Boom, uh, in her book about her childhood, describes an occasion where she asked her dad a question exactly like this. And he had a briefcase beside of him, and he asked her to pick up the briefcase. And when she went to pick it up, it was too heavy for her. She said, I can't do it. It's just too heavy. And his reply to her was, so's the question that you've asked. It's too heavy for me to expect you to carry it now. There'll be a time when you're ready for it. But for now, just think of it as something that's just a bit too heavy. And that's a really good approach in terms of illustrating it to the child, because there are times when if you just say now's not the time, well, why not? I I don't understand why. And uh, whenever they're made to understand that there's a reason why it's not the time, even if it doesn't get into specifics, it can help them accept that deferral of a question. Um, All right. Another question. An eight-year-old comes and says, Daddy, my friend Susie says she likes to kiss other girls. How do you approach this one? I think in an eight-year-old's case, that's pretty tough because they're getting to that age where they really need to start getting uh, properly acquainted with the truth on these matters. You know, I think if they're two or three years old, that's probably a, a misunderstanding that we need to train them in. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily panic yet. Uh, at that point, I say that there's some people nowadays that are, uh, you know, little two year old says something like that. And, oh, OK, well, yeah, you can you can do whatever you want on that. And that's definitely uh, that's child abuse. Um, so, you know, if if my two year old said something like this, um, I would use it as a training moment, but I wouldn't panic. But if an eight year old saying it, 
I'd probably start to panic because they need to they need to be very well acquainted with the truth on this particular subject by that age. We better use it as a, a training and a teaching moment and get them thinking in the right direction ASAP on that because the media and what they might be hearing from school and their friends is going to be pushing them the wrong direction on that particular topic. And we live in a society that is quick to apply a transgender label uh, at the earliest inclination or indication of anything that might seem alternative uh, lifestyle uh, to the point that there are, there, there's a generation of uh, children that have, as you said, they've been abused and, and forced into a model that they really never espoused. They just had a time of questioning. But that being said, you know, uh, something else that comes to mind on this, uh, even if even if a son at age eight comes and says, hey, my friend Tim says he likes to kiss girls. Well, at age eight, what are you doing kissing those girls, boy? Um, and if this kissing is taking place and it's the kind of kissing that we so often assume it to be there is there is a sexual experimentation there is a a romantic involvement here at far too early of an age with whoever this child is and that may be a red flag that there's been something happening to this child that's prompted this child becoming these sorts uh, involved in these sorts of activities yep. so this may be an indication that Susie has some trauma in her life and it might be good for mom or dad to uh, to start paying attention to the influences on uh, the friend Susie. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. Um, Matt, did you have anything to add to that? Uh, I think y'all pretty much hit everything. Um, I guess maybe the only thing I could say here is that uh, uh, again, this is a, a topic that is uh, very sensitive in uh this day and age, it, um, this would have been kind of, you know, crazy when I was a kid, you know, this would have been like, Oh, like you're weird, you know? And, and it is, it's an unnatural thing. You know, that's what, um, uh, I'm not trying to be political here at all, you know, cause it, it's unnatural. Um, and, uh, people are wanting to make it normal, but it's not normal. And, um, and that's probably what I would, that's actually some of what, uh, I have um, uh, talked to um, uh, my kids about with some of the stuff as they've gotten older. You know, this was past the age of eight, but um, as they've gotten older, I've said, you know, this is just an unnatural thing. It's a terrible thing here. And, um, but yeah, that's about all I can add to what y'all said. Y'all had some good comments. All right. Uh, yeah. And in terms of the idea of unnatural, uh, one of the big challenges we're going to face is. You know, uh, Ephesians 2 speaks of them being uh, children uh, uh, of evil by nature, and it's second nature. And uh, the sad fact of the matter is that there are going to be some for whom this is second nature because of the environment, because that's that's the condition of the society where we live. But again, as Matt says, when it comes to what's actually natural, he hit the nail on the head. Uh, let's look at another question. You've got a 12-year-old that comes to you and says, I don't, I don't see what the point of living is. Life isn't fun and nobody likes me. How do we deal with that one? I guess I'll go ahead and jump off. We're like waiting for each other to yeah, that's talk. A, that's a tough one. Um, yeah. So uh, what is the point in living? Um, yeah. Um, 
several people in the scriptures have uh, kind of dealt with this. People have dealt with it in the wrong way. I think Judas in particular. Um, but, uh, you know, when you've got a prophet hanging out in a cave thinking life isn't worth living, you know, um, we know other people have been there. Um, but this is, I think, this is a good opportunity to talk about the sanctity of life and about spiritual things relating to that as far as, you know, um, making sure that people understand, listen, you know, life is precious, but there's a life after this one that we need to be more concerned about. And I think that that's where I would definitely go with this. Um, the idea uh, that nobody likes me, um, I would also probably combat that um, because I have literally not met a single person on the face of this planet that somebody didn't like them to some degree. You know, maybe they don't have a ton of friends, but they're like, okay, well, you know, this person likes you. I mean, that's what exactly what I would do with, with this. Be like, oh, nobody likes you. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, what about so-and-so? I thought they liked you. Well, I guess they do like me. Oh, what about so-and-so? I thought they liked you. Uh, what about so-and-so? And you know what? Guess what? If nobody else like, I like you. I love you. That's, right. that's, that's the point. I love you. I would, my life would not be the same without you. You mean so much to me. That's why life is worth living because we have each other. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that, I think that was very well said. The only thing I would add is just point them back to Jesus and Jesus came and he lived and he died for you and he sacrificed himself for you. And so, uh, you know, talk about how our sins, you know, it, our sins messed everything up. Jesus came so that things could be made right again. And so your, your soul is extremely valuable. Um, I've got a sermon I preached one time called your MVP, your most valuable possession. It's your soul. And what is the, what is the price of a soul, right? Uh, it's worth more than the whole world because Jesus blood uh, was shed for it. You know, sometimes the hardest part about realizing that life is worth living is having the right priorities. We think about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts with the Beatitudes and every aspect of the Beatitudes is a matter of putting into perspective those that are truly well off, those that are actually blessed. And when you think about the idea of blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, they that mourn, blessed are the peacemakers. Those aren't always necessarily the first people that we think of as being well off, but they're blessed because they've got something better. And sometimes the the person that says this uh, has priorities skewed, and it's going to be a matter of helping focus on priorities, like Chase said, point them back to Christ. Something else that might be important if a child, especially at age 12, asks this, it might be important to step back and think, how's this child being treated at home? Are we making this child feel important? Is this, is this one of our children that is different than the other children and we treat her differently or him differently? Uh, do we make this child feel like he or she is not liked at home? Uh, and sometimes those can be sobering and sometimes those can be frightening considerations, but it might be something that mom and dad need to consider because if the child is assuming nobody likes me, that's including the home. And are we demonstrating a true love for, for our children? Uh, hopefully we are, but if the answer is no, let's, let's make it right. One more question on these. A 16 Can I comment a little bit oh, more yeah. on that? I'm so sorry for interrupting you. Um, 
I, I just think about this too with that. Like, I think that's an awesome point that you just made um, as far as like what's happening in the home. But you know what? As parents, we tend to say, don't do this and don't do that. And we don't do enough encouraging. And if they get too much of the negative, they can feel this way because of us. And so we need to be encouraging. We need to tell them when they're doing something great. And we need to tell them when we're so happy, you know, that they've done something good or that we're just happy to have them around and um, randomly, you know, go up. I mean, even the boys, man, randomly go up, give them a hug, tell them you love them, you know, um, you know, just just all those kind of things. But yeah, no, I thought that was a great point. I'm sorry I interrupted. I just couldn't go on without saying that. No, I love getting commendations. So you can interrupt me like that all the time. No. Uh, <laughs> No, great point, Matt. That that positive reinforcement is very much connected to the idea of making them feel like they're worth something at home. Um, let's look at one more, guys. Uh, a 16-year-old says, my teacher says the Bible is just a collection of myths. What do we do with that one? But sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be always ready to give an answer or give a defense to everyone that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. First Peter 3.15 uh, we need to be able to give that defense, that answer, that apology. So I think we need to be well-studied in apologetics to be able to to answer those questions. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you on that. Um, I usually, whenever my kids come up and they say something like this, I just answer as if I was them and they should have answered this way. And, uh, and so I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, is that, is that why the Bible is the uh, number one uh, book that archaeologists use to go find stuff because of its accuracy? Is that right? That's a collection of myths because, you know, that's not what a collection of myths does. Oh, or is it because scientifically there are things that are in the Bible that we now know scientifically are true, but it was written way ahead of time. You know, oh, is that, is that why it is, you know, like I, I'd probably be like that. And like, yeah, I think that also encourages the kids because they're like, okay, this is kind of funny, you know, like dad responding this way. Um, but yeah, it is ridiculous. And I probably would add in where they get their, like, just pay for their degree online. I mean, what did they do? You know? Um, but no, this is prevalent. I've, I have, um, you know, even, uh, even, uh, amongst, um, Christian colleges, so-called, um, you will see some of this stuff where people are questioning the Bible and, um, it is, it is a sad, sad thing. Um, but yeah, no, uh, the Bible is from God. We can prove that over and over and over again. Again, going to apologetics, archaeology, all this kind of stuff is so good to answer these these comments. Great point. And for those parents that may not feel equipped, because let's face it, uh, there are times when mom and dad are working 12 hours a day and they're doing their best to to do a Bible time with their children. And they've not had a chance to study some of these topics, but there are great resources out there. We've mentioned the importance right. of resources already, but you go to Apologetics Press or uh, other resources that can give you some aid in answering these sorts of questions. But Matt, great point on that. All right. Last, uh, last thing we want to discuss today, uh, we've got another uh, section in our episodes called Finding the Fun. Uh, we want to find practical ways to help keep the family engaged in Bible time by making it fun. Matt, what suggestion do you have for this month? Well, um, 
I guess since I wasn't going to say this one, but I guess since we've been talking about apologetics, um, you know, it'd be pretty good is to just go on to the apologetics press website, uh, find you, uh, find your book and study out of that. There's a lot of great resources. Um, there's the, the new flooded book in recent years that's come out, uh, which I've heard a lot. I've not actually read it, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. Um, but yeah, just something like that. Um, because, you know, like when we're opening up the Bible um, every day um, and doing the same thing, it might get monotonous. But if you go get a book and you start studying a book together as a family, that'd be pretty cool. It'd be fun. Chase, uh, good old, good old fashioned uh, game of Bible charades is always fun. Um, just pick a Bible person and uh, try to act it out and see if they can guess who it is. Uh, of course, I've got younger children, so that's usually how my my fun uh, is geared toward. Um, another thing that my kids really like to do, I may have mentioned this last season, I can't remember, but uh, they like to. I'll read a Bible account and then I'll give them a blank sheet of paper and tell them to draw it as uh, as I'm reading it. And so they got to insert as many details from what I read them as they can. And then uh, either myself or my wife will judge, you know, who did the best, who paid attention the most and, and got the most details uh, into their drawing of, you know, the, the account of Noah or uh, the other night we did uh, Moses's mother placing him in, in the little basket in the river, and that sort of thing. So uh, that's always pretty fun. They really like doing that. Very cool. Uh I've mentioned the idea of a, a Friday fun night before, and there are different things can be done on a Friday fun night. We're talking about the idea of board games, or uh, I think I may, may have mentioned the idea of Bible bottom scoot, and they just kind of advance across the floor. Uh, something else that you can do on a, a Friday fun night, uh, you know, put put all of the the nutrition considerations to the side and just be fun. Let them have some snacks and treats. Throw some ice cream in there, not literally, but include some ice cream in there or uh, uh, whatever kind of candy they like. And let Bible time be something on the Friday fun night where they're getting a little bit sugared up and getting a little bit silly. It'll be okay. Um, But uh, again, just something that they they look forward to this particular night and this night becomes a reward from all of the, the the more perhaps tedious studies from the other nights during the week. But, uh, and all of these suggestions that we're giving, you know, any parents can take these and make them fit your family. Like we've already said, not every leader can be the exact leader as someone else. We have to be leading the right way for the right group at the right time. Guys, any thoughts you'd add to what we've discussed today? No, I don't have anything else. I think we've about covered it. All right. Well, that's all the time we've got for this month. So that's a good thing. Uh, We hope you'll join us next month. Where are all the godly men is the question we're asking. And uh, next month, our theme will be the home needs heroes too. Until then, thanks for joining us and we'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.